there are 34 days left until the end of the year, which gives us plenty of time to think about what kind of year it has been and what still needs to happen. We've had a slight break thanks to one holiday, and Charlottesville Community Engagement will get ready for the next one by trying to capture as many loose ends before the ball drops. I'm Sean Tubbs, perpetually missing Dick Clark. In today's edition, a committee of Albemarle elected and appointed officials has begun the review of the audit of the county's books from fiscal year 23. If you're a city resident who wants to be on a board or commission, you have until December 8th to apply. Virginians for High Speed Rail holds a town hall on the future of rail in the Commonwealth. And the Charlottesville City Council gets a briefing on the elimination of parking requirements in the new city zoning code. In today's first subscriber and Patreon-supported shout-out, Charlottesville Community Engagement is not the work of a nonprofit organization, but there are many nonprofit groups that are the beneficiaries of shout-outs thanks to paid subscribers to this newsletter. Today is Giving Tuesday, and here are a few groups you might consider submitting a donation toward. A generous donor is matching contributions to community bikes up to $5,000 to help get more kids and adults on bicycles. Donations to the Rivanna Conservation Alliance will be matched up to $2,000 to support water quality and stream monitoring programs. Cultivate Charlottesville is seeking donations to help purchase a community engagement van. Scottsville's Center for the Arts and the Natural Environment are seeking funds for all manner of items, such as the Children's Performing Summer Arts Campaign 2025. And the Albemarle Charlottesville Historical Society seeks support for their ongoing work to reimagine and reinvent the role of the organization in the 21st century. Giving Tuesday, give away! In recent years, Albemarle County has joined a list of Virginia localities with a total yearly budget in excess of a half billion dollars. The adopted budget for the current fiscal year is $554.8 million, for instance. Work is underway now to develop a budget for fiscal year 25, and that includes a review of the audit for the fiscal year that ended on June 30th, which took place at a meeting of the Audit Committee on Monday. Shanandra Usher is the Assistant Chief Financial Officer for Operations in Albemarle County. Unfortunately, we had some of our challenges from fiscal year 22 spill over into fiscal year 23. Those things include staff turnover, a lack of positions being filled. We went an entire year without having a controller in place. Um, but it also led, and we also had additional leadership uh, transitions that took place in the spring of fiscal year 23. That includes the departure of former Chief Financial Officer Nelsie Birch, who pursued a private sector career. Usher said the county was able to hire new auditors, but there were some complications related to new human resources and payroll software. She was glad to report that the controller's office is now fully staffed. So we have a controller, we have a deputy controller, we have an accounting manager, we have a payroll manager, we have all the accountants and payroll specialists that we need to fully support the organization. The committee got some highlights of the audit, which has been conducted by the firm Brown & Edwards. That's a new company for Albemarle County. Here's Jacob Sumner, the interim chief financial officer for Albemarle County. So this 
initial year is a lot of extra work where we're getting to know each other, um, we're, we're learning how, how to work closely together, particularly on, on the timelines. The full report, including the final numbers for expenditures and revenues, will be presented to the Board of Supervisors on December 13th. However, Auditor Megan Argenbright with Brown and Edwards told the committee it may still be in draft form. New auditors transitions, new employees on the county side. Um, it, it's taken a, a massive effort from all parties involved. Um, and we're learning about the county and the schools as, as they are learning about us. Audits involve things like making certain that federal rules are being followed. And this year, there are six specific programs that are being tested for compliance. The Virginia Auditor of Public Accounts has a deadline of December 15th to receive a transmission of the county's bookkeeping. If you're interested in this process and these kinds of things, take a look at the YouTube recording of the meeting. There's a link in the newsletter. Perhaps one resolution you might make this upcoming new year is to get more involved with local affairs. The city of Charlottesville is seeking applicants for various boards and commissions, and the next deadline to be considered is December 8th. Here's a section from the press release announcing the vacancies. We believe it is not only the right, but the responsibility of interested and capable citizens to become engaged in local government policy by advising city council on important community-related issues. The most prominent vacancy is the seventh member of the Charlottesville Planning Commission. That position has been vacant since Commissioner Liz Russell resigned in June. Council will make its next round of appointees on December 18th. Here's what's open. There are four vacancies on the Board of Architectural Review, including positions for two historians. On the Board of Zoning Appeals, there are three regular vacancies and an alternate position available. There are three vacancies for representatives of low-income neighborhoods on the Community Development Block Grant Task Force, as well as a City School Board representative and a Public Service Program representative. There are four vacancies on the Charlottesville Affordable Housing Fund Committee, with three of those slated for affordable housing beneficiaries. There are four vacancies on the Charlottesville Albemarle Convention and Visitor Centers Bureau Executive Board. A parent representative is needed for the Community Policy and Management Team. There are three positions open on the Charlottesville Historic Resources Committee. There are five positions available on the Charlottesville Housing Advisory Committee, which is otherwise made up of the directors of nonprofit housing firms. Four more people are needed to fill out the Human Rights Commission. There are two vacancies on the Local Board of Building Appeals. There's only one vacancy on the Minority Business Commission, two openings on the Sister Cities Commission, four vacancies on the Social Services Advisory Board, and two people are needed for the Charlottesville Towing Advisory Board. There is a page where you apply. There's a link in the newsletter. Nearly four years have passed since former Governor Ralph Northam announced that the Commonwealth of Virginia would spend $3.7 billion to invest in passenger rail in an initiative called Transforming Rail in Virginia. That brought 412 miles of railroad into public ownership, 250 miles of railroad trackage, and during uh, afterward of phases one and two will result in a 53% increase in Amtrak service 
and a 39% increase in VRE service. That's Danny Plugger, the executive director of Virginians for High Speed Rail. On Monday, Plugger moderated a panel discussion that explored how the initiative is working out. He said interest in a reinvestment in passenger rail in Virginia dates back to the early 90s with the creation of the Virginia Railway Express and the Virginia Department of Rail and Public Transportation. Over the next preceding decade, from 1993 to 2003, uh, VRE's uh, ridership grew to nearly 3 million annual passengers. Uh, And in 2009, we became the 18th state uh, to join and launch our own passenger rail service, including the Lynchburg Amtrak Regional Train Extension. That service was extended to Roanoke, and planning is currently underway to expand to Christiansburg to serve Virginia Tech and the New River Valley. Plugger said Virginia officials realized that additional lanes on I-95 would cost a lot of money and would likely not relieve congestion, but providing more alternatives could help move people around the Commonwealth. Here's Jennifer DeBrule, the director of the Virginia Department of Rail and Public Transportation. Data is showing that those um, studies are are proving to be true, and we're seeing our ridership grow. Uh, every month we're setting a new record, and uh, we've seen you know all over 1.8 million passengers uh, in the federal fiscal year. Part of the initiative is the creation of the Virginia Passenger Rail Authority, which technically owns much of that new track, including the east-west line that runs through Charlottesville. Here's DJ Statler, the executive director of the VPRA. We're here to add capacity and to add the ability to separate freight and passenger because those two don't work well together on the same right-of-way. And excited to say that, that we continue to stay on schedule with our major procurements and focused on adding service in 2026 and even more service in 2030. One of the major projects that the VPRA is shepherding is the doubling of capacity across the Potomac River with the Long Bridge Expansion Project. Preliminary engineering is underway with final design scheduled to begin next year with completion by 2030. The idea is to bring on new service where possible such as the recent addition of a second train between D.C. and Roanoke. And in 2026, the Franconia-Springfield bypass will be completed, the Alexandria Fourth Track will be completed, and, and that will trigger even more service. To learn more about what's happening, there's the statewide rail plan from 2022. Go take a look, or take a look at the entire video of the Virginians for High Speed Rail Forum on YouTube. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement. Time for a sponsored message. From Crozet to Barracks Road, the downtown mall to the shops at Stonefield, and everywhere in between. Albemarle County and Charlottesville's offices of economic development encourage you to buy local this holiday season. Buying locally supports our neighbors and community members and makes a big impact for our local economy. Local businesses are more likely to reinvest in our community and their goods and services contribute to the unique character of our community. You can learn more about how you can support business at showlocallove.org and on social media, all of them at by local Seville Albemarle. Happy hunting, happy holidays.
One more story today. The Charlottesville City Council will hold the final work session tomorrow night on the Development Code, a fancy name for the new zoning code. The new rules for where buildings can go will expand the number of homes and businesses that can be built all across the city. Council has had a series of previous work sessions, which I've attempted to summarize. On November 8th, Council held a discussion of a change in city policy that would no longer require developers to provide parking for automobiles. Ben Chambers is the transportation planning manager for the city. Within the proposed development code, there are several elements that address the nexus of land use and transportation concerns. These elements include increased densities and mixed uses that can promote the efficiency of active transportation and transit, and design considerations that increase the appeal and usefulness of our public realms for non-motorized travel. That means new rules for parking for off-street vehicles to make way for land for streetscape elements such as sidewalk and tree planting areas. Chambers said this comes from the comprehensive plan that was adopted in November of 2021. That was the second of three projects that are part of the Seville Plans Together initiative. Specifically, Goal 4 of the transportation chapter, as read by Chambers. To provide a balanced approach to parking that supports economic vitality, achieves urban form goals, minimizes environmental impacts, and accommodates pedestrians, bicycles, transit users, and disabled individuals. One of the strategies under this goal says it bluntly. Examine the potential of phasing out minimum parking requirements. And that's exactly what the new development code does. Removing the mandate for additional parking supply from new development is critical to reducing the parking demand and supporting the use of alternative forms of transportation in the city. It's important to remember that the Charlottesville Downtown Mall does not have parking requirements and has not had them for many years. Another thing to note is that other elements of the development code will discourage on-street parking or even prohibit new on-street spaces in some locations. Chambers said engineers have traditionally used vehicle trip generation studies to determine the number of parking spaces that will be needed for particular uses. In fact, these correlations have no statistical significance whatsoever. They ignore the design context and alternative access options that could be available to a given site and have resulted in overbuilt parking lots and developments that are not oriented towards pedestrian, bicycle, or transit access. Chambers said removing parking minimums will lead to more affordable housing because developers won't have to provide spaces. He estimated the cost to build a 300-square-foot surface parking space is about $5,000 and over $20,000 of space for those in parking structures. The city's inclusionary zoning analysis showed that reducing parking minimums would be effective at supporting the financial feasibility of constructing new mid-rise apartments with support for the deepest affordability levels. Chambers said dropping requirements does not mean that builders will just stop building spaces altogether. The idea behind the change in city policy is to provide more flexibility. By removing minimum requirements, this allows the developer to balance the competing cost and space needs as they design the optimal project for a given site. Transportation demand management plans would be required for development projects over a certain size to show how the building would accommodate all modes of travel. James Fries is the city's Neighborhood Development Services Director. The TDM program that we're proposing in the zoning ordinances would be a new section and it would be it's triggered by projects that are over 50,000 square feet so generally uh, as proposed 
that's a movable number. But um, 50,000 50, square feet, so roughly a 50-unit apartment building or similar, um, at that point in time, they would have to provide to us an analysis of their potential transportation demand and proposals for solutions. Chambers said that in the next year, the Department of NDS will also be looking at changes to rules for on-street parking as well. That will cover the existing system through which parking permits are reserved for tenants on some streets in some city neighborhoods. City Councilor Brian Pinkston supports the elimination of the requirements. I've listened to arguments on both sides. Um, I'm a person who has three adult children and a bunch of other folks who come swinging through my house from time to time, and they'll have to adjust, I guess. Vice Mayor Juan Diego Wade hinted at his past as a transportation planner when he indicated his support for the removal of requirements. Now it's good to see that cities are doing this. However, Charlottesville Mayor Lloyd Snook was more skeptical due to a concern that the city does not have sufficient alternatives to driving in place to support the change. The concern that I have is that all of the places where folks have cited an example of changing parking or eliminating parking requirements are all places that have meaningful functional transit systems, which we do not, and we are a number of years away from doing that. Charlottesville is working with Albemarle County through the Thomas Jefferson Planning District Commission to form a regional transportation authority to help cover the cost for more robust transit. But formation is at least three years away. Snook bristled at one European city being mentioned as an example of a community that reduced vehicle use through inner city congestion charges. When one talks about, well, let's use London as an example, London has one of the best developed transit systems in the world. Snook said Raleigh, North Carolina, began its reduction of parking requirements gradually, as opposed to doing it all at once, as proposed for Charlottesville. Raleigh started off by saying, we're going to only uh, eliminate the parking requirements in areas where there is adequate transit access. Snook said Charlottesville's terrain is also an obstacle to older people getting on e-bikes or bicycles. He suggested the city take a pause on eliminating parking minimums until the transit system is improved. I happen to live in an area where it's a, you know, I'm from my house, it's about a 15 minute walk to the nearest bus station, or to the nearest bus stop, where one bus runs once an hour and it goes downtown and if I wanted to take the bus to any other place including the University of Virginia I'd have to change and basically it would take an hour and a half to two hours to get to where I want to go. However, Pinkston sounded a more pressing tone and said that other alternatives exist such as on-demand private transportation. He urged the city to make a paradigm shift. If we continue to have to wait on having transit system Ubers that cost $5 as opposed to 25 or 30 um, I just think we'll be kicking this can down the road for, for years. And in the meantime, we're trying to get a building um, zoning ordinance where people can go start building stuff for us. Yeah. City Councilor Michael Payne said he thought eliminating parking requirements would be feasible but the city will need to evaluate the existing permit process for on-street parking. 
even on things just allowing like renters to be able to participate in that, um, what enforcement may look like, particularly in 10th and Page, where there's that tension with UVA employees. As of November 8th, City Councilor Leah Perrier said she was still debating what she thought about the idea. It seems like something that would be feasible. Toward the end of the conversation, Pinkston said the city needs to begin to convince the University of Virginia to take a more meaningful role in the area's regional transit governance. The firm AECOM continues work on a study on the issue, as I reported earlier this month, from the Charlottesville-Albemarle Metropolitan Policy Board, of which City Councilor Payne is a member. Realistically, I think the big conversation will be between UVA, Albemarle, and Charlottesville about funding and what mix of funding streams to do. And it it should be noted, it's a lot of money, but if you look at their analysis across Charlottesville and Albemarle, it's a not to minimize it, but a pretty small increase in... um, either sales tax or other sources can permanently fund it. General Assembly approval and signature by Governor Glenn Youngkin will be needed for that additional taxing power. There are two more work sessions for me to go through, including the November 13th meeting, which dealt with affordability provisions in the development code. I'll get to that by the end of the week, but the next edition of this newsletter is going to look at transit. But we're now sending number 607 away. As this is a one-person operation with ambitious goals, there are often days I end up not publishing. And how are you to know? Make sure you're checking my page on Substack Notes, as that's a better place to provide production updates rather than on Instagram or Facebook. This particular edition did go through the copy editing process, and today I wrote up a job description for an internship. I'm also willing to train volunteers, though I don't like the idea of people other than me working for free. I'm hopeful that before those rail improvements are in place by 2026, that I'll have actual employees. More paid subscriptions will make that likely. If you'd like to join those paid subscribers, the internet company Ting will match your initial payment. If you've not joined them so far, maybe today's the day. The only way I can keep this going is to keep growing. Or perhaps I'll just find a pile of magic beans. Ting does not sell magic beans, but I'm told the internet is fast. We'll be back again in the near future. Thanks a lot. Goodbye.